If I were to say to you this morning the names Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Reagan, you'll recognize that as a list of American presidents. Now, it's not really impressive that I can recite that to you because not only have many of us lived through this time, but it's information that can be found just about anywhere you look. But what if I were to tell you that that list had been found by archaeologists? Not only with the names in the right order, but even information about each administration, and it had been written hundreds of years before the United States even existed. Would you say that person recorded it, had amazing insight into the future? Or would you say, Roger, there's absolutely no way that that could be real. It had to be a fraud. It had to be something that somebody recorded after the fact, because it would be impossible for somebody to be that accurate in predicting the future. Well, as we turn in our Bible today to Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see a list, something like this one, because in it, it reveals the coming kingdoms of the world in Daniel's day, as well as some that were to come hundreds and even thousands of years after. Now, because this list is so accurate, there are those who claim the book of Daniel could not have been written in the 6th century when Daniel was living. Instead, they say it was written after the fact by somebody other than Daniel, somebody who was able to look back at the history and record these events. Now, there's a lot of linguistic evidence I could share with you today. I could talk about word counts and etymology, and your eyes would just glaze over. So instead, what I want to do is point you to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, it's so named because this slide that you're seeing is one of the Qumran caves by the Dead Sea. They called the Dead Sea Scrolls because there was a a Sian Qumran community there by the Dead Sea, and they uh, were copying and reproducing the scriptures, and they placed these copies in the caves. And these manuscripts that were copied, among those that have been found, there are eight different copies of the book of Daniel. The, the oldest fragments of the manuscripts date back to 125 BC. 125 BC. And so what that does is it shows us that Daniel was written well before the critics claim because the scriptures had been copied and were being recopied uh, after Daniel had written them. Now this, along with other evidence, proves that what we're looking at today is prophetic, that the events that are recorded were written before they occurred. Now, while we know these critics are wrong about when Daniel was written, uh, they are right about what they were saying in that with such precision and prediction to come, no man was able to do this. Daniel himself tells us that. Last week, and we read in Daniel 2, 27 through 28, where Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, Conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Now you remember the king had been having dreams, and he was wondering, what does it mean? And we're going to see today the dream that Daniel reveals and its meaning. And as we look at this, what I want you to walk away from from this message today is not a head full of knowledge, not, wow, that's interesting historical stuff. What I want you to see today is that what is revealed to us in God's word is exactly that, God's word. 
What we'll see today will help strengthen our faith. It will help strengthen our confidence, not only in the truth of God's word, but also in understanding who God truly is, the true God in heaven who is in control of history. And so I invite you to look with me now as we continue looking at Daniel chapter 2 and verses 30 through 38. And here Daniel reveals the dream and its meaning as he says, As for you, O king, while on your bed your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, and that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it crushed them. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we shall tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, the glory. And whatever the sons of, and wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, I want you to notice that as Daniel is revealing this to the king, he makes sure that Nebuchadnezzar understands where everything has come from. Not only the dream and its interpretation, but even the power and all that Nebuchadnezzar possesses. He says, this isn't based upon your abilities. It's not based upon the false gods of Babylon. This is rather coming from the God of heaven. Now, on this slide, you see a picture of the statue that was being revealed to him. And he says in verses 37 through 38, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. As we go through our study in the book of Daniel, we'll see there are other dreams that are revealed. Two of them are to Daniel. One is in chapter 7, another is in chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. And in these dreams, God will give us additional information based upon what we're looking at today, telling us the names of kingdoms. He'll give additional figures that describe the administrations. And so in Daniel 7, 4, Babylon is pictured as a winged lion. And in Daniel 2.39, we're told... As we come back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says, And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Now, this next kingdom is represented by two arms of silver, and they're interconnected by the chest. And this is speaking of the Media Persia Empire that's going to come. And we know that because as we look at Daniel 8.20, it says, The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. Whenever you're reading through scripture, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So many times people say, well, we can't understand the book of Revelation or Daniel or other things. Many times God gives the meaning to us. And so later in the book of Daniel, we're told that this kingdom coming is Media Persia. 
And in Daniel 7, 5, it's pictured as being a bear. Now, you'll notice here in verse 39 that Daniel says these subsequent kingdoms would be inferior to Babylon. But if you look at history, each of the kingdoms that came were larger and lasted longer. So how is it that Daniel says they're inferior? Babylonian empire lasted for 87 years, while the media Persia would last for 208 years. And what we're going to find is it's pointing to the power of the ruler. That's coming a little bit later in the message. But the inferior is not about the size or the length. It's rather focused on the power of the ruler. Now, the third kingdom that's seen in this dream is Greece. And we know this because Daniel 8.21 tells us, and the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And as you look at Daniel chapter 7, there the kingdom is also pictured as a winged and four-headed leopard. Now, Greece lasted for 258 years, and we see in Daniel 2.39 that it was predicted to rule over all the earth. The Grecian Empire came to the peak of power under Alexander the Great, not only taking over the territory that Media Persia had expanded into, but also going into the area of northwestern India. Daniel 2.40-42 tells us, Then there will be a fourth kingdom. As strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And in that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. Now, notice that the toes of the feet are a mix of iron and pottery. And what this shows is that there would be parts of the kingdom that are strong and parts of the kingdom that are brittle. This fourth kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is Rome. And the Roman legions were noted for their ability to crush all resistance with an iron heel. And here it's described, as it says, as strong as iron and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to see that this kingdom is used by Satan, and there it's called the dreadful beast. Rome was the largest of the empires, and it lasted the longest, going for 538 years. But we see in verse 41 that it says it will be a divided kingdom. And this happened as the Western uh, Empire was conquered in 476 AD, but the Eastern Byzantine Empire survived for another thousand years, finally being taken down by the Turks in 1453 AD. And so Rome is described again, not only in terms of its power, but also features about this administration that nobody could have known. Now, not only are the two legs there showing parts of the division, but then we're, we're told that there are also ten toes. And this represents another kingdom that is coming, which is called the revived Roman Empire. Uh, this is the kingdom still to come in the end times. This one has not yet taken place. The ten toes are described as ten horns in Daniel uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And when we get to that passage, we're going to see these ten toes are ten kings. And these ten kings are again mentioned in Revelation chapter 17 and verses 12 through 14. Remember, I told you, let scripture interpret scripture. So we find the meaning in Revelation 17 where it says, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. 
Now, what's being talked about here is what theologians call the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is that coming climactic battle that will take place on the earth when Jesus Christ will physically return at his second coming uh, to this planet earth. And he will set up what is called the millennial kingdom. Now, the scriptures tell us this battle will take place on the plain of Megiddo. The, The Hebrew word for mountain is har. So Har Megiddo is where we get Armageddon from. It's pointing to this battle that is coming, uh, that is being described here, where Daniel's prophecy says the coming of Christ will wipe out the gathered nations of this ten-king confederation, this revived Roman Empire. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we'll talk more about what this is, this ten-king confederation, as well as what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is being further built on. I told you that we have the image of animals that come later that give us some of these characteristics. And when we look at these images that God uses to reveal them, again, we see the precision. We see that that God says, let me tell you not only what is coming, but let me describe for you what is coming. Uh, I previously mentioned to you Babylon was pictured as a, a, a lion with eagle's wings. And what that describes is both strength and speed. And then we saw that Media Persia is shown as a bear uh, raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth. These are the dreams that are to come. And when you look at the combined Media Persia empire, uh, one side of it was stronger than the other. The Persians were stronger than the Medes. So you have this bear pictured as a dominant side lifted up. And we'll also see that this bear had three ribs in its mouth. And as we get later in this series, we'll talk about three significant conquests that occurred uh, in the Media Persian king- kingdom. Now, the leopard with wings has four heads, and this represents Greece. Now, a leopard is already a picture of speed. And how much faster could this animal go if it had wings and could fly? And as you look back at history and military strategists, they're still amazed at the speed in which Alexander the Great was able to conquer the known world. And this is what it's pointing to. Now, why are there four heads on this leper? Well, when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom broke into four pieces among his four generals. Again, do you see the precision at which God is revealing the things that are to come. You can see why critics say there is absolutely no way that Daniel could look ahead and say these things, could give this level of precision and description about what is to come. And they're right. Nobody could do it, but God can. And as we saw in Daniel 2.39, uh, as we saw in Daniel 2.27 through 28, the true God of heaven is the one revealing these things. Now, earlier in Daniel 2.39, we said that God, I I told you that God said each subsequent kingdom would be inferior. And I said, this is speaking of the ruler. Now, while each kingdom to come after Babylon was larger and lasted longer, when you look at the power of the ruler, Nebuchadnezzar was the one at the peak, other than the one uh, above him, which is Jesus Christ that we'll talk about here in a moment. But when you look at Nebuchadnezzar, he was, he was the king of kings. Now, notice that's all in small capital letters. Because he possessed full dominion over his kingdom. When it came to Darius the Mede, who was the next ruler, we'll see when we get to Daniel chapter 6, verse 12, Darius could not even overturn his own decision. He had made a decree, and he could not overturn what he had previously said. 
And when it comes to Alexander the Great, although he was a mighty general, he lacked central control of his kingdom. And then it broke into these four pieces after his death. Rome had powerful Caesars, but it was the Senate that made the rules. And so when it comes to the the kingdom to come, this revived Roman Empire, we're told that there are ten kings. And they are giving their power to the beast. This is the Antichrist that is to come. And what we're going to see, and as we already know from reading through the scripture, the Antichrist is defeated by the return of Jesus Christ. Antichrist or Satan, his representatives, have been conquered already at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin, death, and Satan. He rose from the dead showing that he had conquered uh, sin, death, and Satan. And when he comes back to set up God's kingdom, uh, this is what we see in Daniel 2, 44 through 45. It says, and in those days, in, in the days of those kings, remember this is speaking of the end times, these 10 kings now. It says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now, when we're told there is a stone cut out without hands, what it's saying is this is of a divine origin. This is not a man-made kingdom. This is God. And we see that God is going to destroy the worldly kingdoms that are in opposition to him. Now, here's a slide that we're not going to be able to go into in depth. If you've been at Wayside any length of time, you know my charts. Some of you are smiling back at me. Uh, And we're going to walk through these events in depth as we go through Daniel. But here you get an overview of some of the end time events. And when we get to Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 through 27, there's something called the 77s, which is the prophetic revelation of the end time events. And we're going to see again the intricate detail down literally to the day, the day that God says things would take place. And so what this reveals here in Daniel 9.26, you see it says the Messiah will be cut off. And this is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And this is what all of the revelation is pointing to. This is the hinge, literally, of human history. This is the defining event that is the pinnacle of all that God's plan coming into place. And so Jesus Christ will be cut off. Jesus was crucified to pay the penalty of death for our sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later. He walked the earth for 40 days, appearing to more than 500 witnesses before he ascended into heaven. And that's where Christ is currently at. He is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, waiting to return. You see the pre-tribulational rapture listed there on that slide. And this is speaking of the return of Christ where the Bible tells us that the Lord will return to the air. He does not yet return physically to the earth. And as he returns in the air, we who are Christians will be caught up. The the Latin word rapturo means to be caught up. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and then we will be taken back to heaven with him. And we will be with God during that terrible time of the seven years tribulation that is here on earth.
And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ will return physically to the earth. This is his second coming. And this is what we're reading about today, where this kingdom will come, the stone will crush and will wipe out. Remember the battle of Armageddon I mentioned. That's when this takes place at the second coming of Christ. These nations in opposition to God are wiped out. And at that point, God establishes his kingdom what's called the millennial kingdom because that's what the word millennium means, a thousand-year reign here on earth. Now, as this is happening, uh, we see it described in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 11 through 16. We who have been raptured and returned to heaven return with Christ at the second coming. Here it says in Revelation 19, 11 and following, And I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is us, friends, raptured believers. It says, we're following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, if you compare that, uh, Revelation nineteen sixteen with Daniel two thirty seven. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's name is king of kings in small letters. Here you see Jesus Christ's name is in all capital letters, both of his titles, king of kings and lord of lords, because Jesus Christ is the true and final king who is coming. He is the one who will wipe out the earthly kingdoms. He is the one who will establish this millennial thousand-year kingdom on earth. Now, maybe you've heard of those who are amillennialists. That's a fancy word that means no millennium. And what they say is uh, there's not a literal thousand-year reign here on earth. They, They will try to spiritualize it. Yet if you look at Revelation chapter 20 and verses 1 through 7, six times we see the word a thousand. Now, there it's written in Greek, so it's kylia. But it's millennium in Latin. And so as we're talking about this thousand-year kingdom, God says six different times it will last for a thousand years. Now, there are also those that are called post-millennialists who say, well, Jesus doesn't return before the beginning of the kingdom. Rather, uh, they say Christ returns after a gradual inauguration of the kingdom. It somehow uh, pushes out a little more and more uh, the pagan influence of the world. But as we saw in this revelation in Daniel, it is a climactic event that occurs. The stone falls, it crushes, and then it grows, and the kingdom is established. Now, All this is being revealed, as all of this is being revealed, remember Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there hearing the dream and its interpretation. And look at his response in Daniel 2, 46 through 47. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and he did homage to Daniel. And he gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God... All capital, see the capital G. Your God is a God of gods, little g. We saw last week how they had the uh, pagan gods that were man-made. And here this king says, the God of heaven. 
it says, is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. This response of a pride-filled, unbelieving Gentile king is to be so overwhelmed by what's been shared, he falls on his face in worship. Now, some will read this and say, whoa, whoa, what's Daniel doing? I mean, remember when the Apostle Paul had somebody fall at his feet to worship him as God, uh, he said, get up, I'm just a man. This isn't the same thing. Daniel isn't being worshipped as a God here. Nebuchadnezzar is worshipping the God whom Daniel serves. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells of a time that Alexander the Great, remember him? He's one of the kingdom leaders to come. And Josephus tells of a time when Alexander the Great did something similar where he bowed down before the high priest of the Jews. And Parmian, one of his generals, saw this happen, and he said to Alexander, why are you bowing before this Jewish priest? Other people bow before you. And Alexander's response is, it was not before him that I prostrated myself but before the God of whom he has the honor to be high priest. So whether it's the ruler of Greece that is to come or the ruler of Babylon that is currently ruling uh, this first kingdom in this revelation, they humble themselves and they bow before God. And friends, there is a day coming, the Bible tells us, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the King of kings. Daniel knows that Nebuchadnezzar isn't worshiping him. He is the representative of God. And it is God who deserves to be honored and worshiped. So as we think about what we've seen today, I want you to think about whether or not you're somebody like Nebuchadnezzar, where you've been awed at who God is and how he's in control of history. Now, I said at the beginning, I didn't want you just to be amazed and have a head full of facts. I want you to take the next step because at this point, Nebuchadnezzar has not yet placed his faith and trust in the true God of heaven. Don't stop with just being awed. Don't just stop with saying, wow, this is amazing stuff. You need to take the next step and have a personal relationship with God's son. You need to understand who Jesus is and why he came and accept his sacrifice. In Daniel 9.24, we're told Jesus Christ came to make atonement for iniquity. Jesus Christ came to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty of death on the cross that was owed for our sins. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I told you that what Daniel's revelation is pointing us to is ultimately to the cross of Christ. That is the hinge on which all of history turns. Before the the death of Christ on the cross, uh, the penalty of death was in place. But for those who receive him as the promised Messiah, those who have accepted him as the payment for our sins personally, we are welcomed into the family of God and we will be welcomed into heaven one day. If If you're here today or watching online and you've never taken that step of faith where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what is keeping you from doing so? We have seen evidence today that is mind-blowing, that proves the word of God is just that, the word of God, it can be trusted. It shows us that the God of heaven is not some man-made, made-up God, but he is the God of gods. He is the one true king, the one true God of heaven. 
No one could foretell the things that God revealed to Daniel except for the one true God. And God has given us his one and only son. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you've never received that gift of eternal life, bowing your knee, so to speak, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he was. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. I want us to end today by going to God in prayer. And as we do, I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never taken that step of faith, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. To say to him today, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I owe a penalty of death. And I thank you that you left your throne in heaven to come to earth to take my place, going to the cross to die for me. And I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the dead three days later. You conquered sin and death. You conquered our enemy, Satan. And and you accept his gift of new life to you today. If you'd like to do that, I invite you to bow your head and pray this prayer with me. You can pray pray it in the privacy of your mind. You can do it where you are in your living room at home, right here in the 410 sanctuary. But what you're doing is just saying to God, God, I understand who you are. I acknowledge that, and I accept you as my Savior. If you'd like to do that, please just repeat this prayer in your heart and mind with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, someone who's made mistakes and not lived a perfect life. And because of that, I recognize, God, that I owe a penalty, a penalty of sin called death. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to take my place, that you went to the cross and you made atonement for iniquity. You paid my penalty of death for me. And today, Jesus, I accept that gift of new and eternal life that you offer to me through your grace. I accept you to be my Savior. I thank you, God, for inviting me into your family. I thank you, God, for giving your life to give me the gift of eternal life. Today I receive and acknowledge you as my Savior. I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, After the service, if you're here, you can email us online at Wayside Chapel, the information. We would love to get some information in your hands to help you to begin to start your walk with Christ. Uh, And so now, as we leave today, go into the world and share the good news. We live in a world where people are worried about what does tomorrow hold? What's going to happen at the presidential election? What's going to happen, you know, on and on? Well, God shows us he's in control of history. We can rest in who he is and his control. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see some of you back here at 3 p.m. today for our town hall. God bless you.